Hello, and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer, and uh, that theme music is a band called Les Blanks. They're really great. You should check them out. Uh, we have a really great show for you today. My guest is the frontman for the rap group The Coup. He's also uh, the frontman for Tom Morello's uh, and his uh, band uh, Sweet Street. It's not easy to say. Street Sweeper Social Club. Too many S's, man. Too many S's. I'm stuffed up. I'm all fucked up on antibiotics and, and weird medicine. I got a sinus infection. You know, that sweet L.A. air will uh, really just fucking do some damage to your body. Uh, but uh, Boots and I have a really great conversation. It's very uh, interesting. We talk a lot about workers' rights. And uh, we talk about how to fix these worker problems on this episode. So please enjoy this conversation with... Uh, Boots Riley of the Coop. So I, you know, one of the interesting things I've read about you uh, was that uh, you you came from a very political family. You grew up. You were born in Chicago. You didn't really grow up there, though, did you? Yeah. No, we we moved away from Chicago when I was one, and we moved to Detroit. And I lived there until I was six and moved to Oakland first time. Moved, uh, then uh, from there lived in uh, Pasadena and Stockton, and but came back to Oakland by the time I was 13. So, you know, most of my life I've been in Oakland. Oh, you guys, uh, but your parents were political organizers, is that correct? Or? Yeah, uh uh, my father and mother met at the at San Francisco State Strike um, in 1968 or something like that. And uh, they, uh, it, my, my father had been in the civil rights movement um, and then joined CORE, which moved him out to the Bay Area, where he got involved in more radical things like PLP and SDS and... Uh, uh, through the P- Progressive Labor Party, PLP, he got involved in the San Francisco State Strike. Um, and uh, that's where my parents met. And that, and that was, would you, was that sort of inspired you at a young age? Because you, you joined that, that, uh, that, the Labor Party around when you were 15, right? It was it. Yeah, but by that point, you know, by the time I was eight, uh, so my father had become a, a uh, full-time organizer for PL in Detroit. And by the time I was eight, though, there was a big split, and he was not no longer in that. And he went back to school to become a lawyer. Um, and so between the ages of eight and 14, that's like a lifetime. So um, by the time I was 14, he, he was no longer involved in anything like that. And um, But... Some family friends were still involved in that, so it's a totally set different organization by the time I joined, uh, unfortunately. Um, but so yeah, when I when I joined uh, at fourteen, um, his main thing was you know he he you know because he had been involved in radical politics for a while. His main problem was that they shouldn't let me in. You know, uh, he his whole thing was like, hey, when I was in the party, we wouldn't have let somebody like you in. You barely read. You know, you, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. And, you know, it, he, he kind of felt like they were being opportunist and weren't really developing. And some of that may be true, but at the same time, you know, uh, people have different ways of developing what was what drew you to to the party when when you were so young it was did you was there well well i think well the the thing that got me around them was that uh you know they had a youth group that and one of the organizers came by the house and was like and and had a van full of other 14 year old girls and um, was like, hey, we're going to uh, go to the beach. 
You want to come? But before before we go to the beach, though, we're going to go and support the uh, Watsonville cannery workers in their strike. So uh, the main impetus was to be around a bunch of girls. <laughs> Hey, that's that's why I uh, made the grave error of accepting Jesus when I was a teen. <laughs> but then, oh yeah. They'd, then oh, yeah. find out those Christian girls uh, don't really uh, take off the clothes too much. <laughs> oh, I thought it was you know thought that was it was the opposite. But that I mean you know I thought the repression around that area bleeds off. You know, wild stuff. I just might, but, I just might not be smooth with the ladies uh, back then. <laughs> But and that's well, the, the party was a bit more like a it, it was communist in nature, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it's, it was a communist organization. Um, actually, a lot of what they espoused by that point was uh, they espoused going directly to communism, meaning skipping the socialist state period, um, which at the time I I didn't realize is very similar to what anarcho-socialists believe in um and you know and which is why when i started finding hearing about anarchism i was like wow this is exactly the same thing that uh you know i came up on uh but 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 as far as going back to your point of what made me want to be involved after that initial social reason of wanting to be involved i think that um it answered a lot of questions that people just generally have. Like when you're a kid, and my 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 parents didn't push politics on us. Maybe there are certain things that I can look back on that you know definitely influenced me. But um, you know, I one. You know, my father was working all the time, and anybody that's involved in that's really involved in politics and organizing, they're working all the time. It's like you have a eighty-hour-a-week job, and um, so the politics that I had were just basic questions like, why are there homeless people? Why are there poor people? How does this work? And you know, maybe someone talked to me about it before then, but being fourteen and, and thinking about the becoming a person that has agency and then finding out that, hey, that, that it's actually a systematic problem. It's not just some unexplainable phenomenon that people are homeless and people are poor. Um, that's very explainable and there's something you can do about it. You know, that, that feels very empowering. And uh, it definitely, that definitely got me uh involved at that time. Yeah, it's it's strange, too, because you say the words uh, anarchist or communist. I think people still have real McCarthy-era sort of uh, ideology of that. Like, people, I don't think people really fully understand what either of those are anymore, or, or what they... Well, well I, you know, I, I would say that, and, and I've... I, you know, the thing that I kind of got into saying to helping people understand what it is that, that don't really, ha- haven't really uh, looked into communism or, or and, and really I, I can't say I understand anarchism. I can understand what a, few, what a few of my friends who call themselves anarcho-socialists describe. But what I call it is, uh, I say that it's, people democratically controlling the wealth that they create with their labor. And you'll find very few people that would disagree that that should be the case. Right. Um, and, and the, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I think the McCarthy era stuff is, is dead. To extent. I think that, uh, by the time I was even, you know, in high school in the 80s, um, people, you know, I, I got uh, red-baited as a communist uh, by the principal over the loudspeaker. And, you know, in a school that was, you know, roughly, you know, 50% black and 50% Asian among the black kids, Folks just said communists, okay, 
cool, whatever. <laughs> you know, like, what the- I don't know, you know, like, it, it's, it's, I think that, that people knew that it was something the government didn't like. And so, therefore, it, we, it was, it was something that maybe should be respected, but, you know, still they don't know enough about it to, to, uh, think that it was badass, but it wasn't something, it wasn't like anything that made people not, uh, hang around me because of that. If anything, it intrigued people more. Um, and, and I think that's how it's always been in, in the black community. I think going around the country, you know, ever since I was a you know, teenager, because I became a national organizer for the mass uh, arm of Progressive Labor Party, which was called INCAR, International Committee Against Racism. Um, and what what I found is that in communities of color, it was kind of like communist. Okay, whatever. I got to pay my bills. Tell me how that helps me. Right. I don't. You know, like it, it's it's. I, I think it's. I think it's a very small academic zone that really still has the. Uh, that really still feels the effect of McCarthyism. Um, it, it, you know, and I, and I think in other places, you know, like uh, right wing uh, sloganeering has been used against everything to the point where the right wing sloganeering against communism really just falls into place with everything else and kind of, uh, you know, people don't, you know, they pay as much attention to it as they do, you know, uh, about uh, or less attention to it as they do for any of the anti-Arab racism or any, uh, you know, I think that people calling Obama a socialist has really uh, helped out the idea of uh, of socialism and communism because right. more people have been like, okay, yeah, we need some of that. <laughs> it's it's amazing that they also forget there's a portions of our society that do have social programs. It, it, it's... <laughs> yeah. But and you were saying about what you were saying about the, uh, the workers controlling uh, the profit and stuff. I w- However, I will say that in those portions of the, the, of the world that do have social programs, which I wouldn't call them socialist states, those are ones that have been fought for by communists and revolutionaries of various ilks, um, and that's the only way they really get there, you know. So yeah, I, I saw you were in one. Uh, interviewer, you were saying that we need to really uh, ch- change the labor in this country, and you were saying change the unions, which is uh, I thought was an interesting point because I, it's a very unions and non-unions people. It's becoming a very black and white and a very like knee jerk, you know, like oh we got to have unions. But when you said that, I I did think about that, and I was like, yeah, the unions can can be pretty pretty fucked as well uh yeah well well, i'm not talking about the unions that exist right now there are a few of them that are um pretty militant like the ilwu um you know there's there's a couple of them that are out there that are that are militant i'm saying that we need a radical uh, militant mass labor movement meaning that yeah they could be unions or whatever but there, they would probably be um, new groupings of people, um, not the AFL-CIO necessarily, you know, unless somehow the the, the uh, radicalized union membership took it over and made them into different um, sorts of organizations. Um, so I'm not necessarily talking about unions as they exist right now because those unions only represent like 7% of the workforce. Um, but I, but what I'm talk, saying is that we need a new union movement, a new militant, militant labor movement that, you know, could have to do with the unions that exist right now, but may just be new groupings of workers that, that create their own unions. Yeah, I was, uh, 
I was feeling hopeful there for a bit when when people were walking out on Walmart, and I believe there was a McDonald's, which... Well, that was only a couple months ago. You lost your hopefulness already. <laughs> I didn't... I didn't... It did come off that way. But, but it seems like there's been... Uh, there was some... Uh, there's some judgments going against unions just recently uh, that, that might be going to the Supreme Court and things like that. And uh, I, f- I find uh, that I, the, 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 our, our government still is trying to break up unions and the things like uh, right to right to work uh, movements by some of the uh, politicians makes me very on edge. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, there's definitely... Um, working against the working class coming together and being able to negotiate change through that. Um, I think that that people are at a whole new level of being ready for something like that now after the Occupy Wall Street movement and uh, various things that, are, that have happened during that that uh, showed people the power that strikes can have and show people that you can get thousands of people together to shut things down. So um, I think that uh, we we kind of tested the waters here, and for other organizational reasons it didn't happen, but we started talking about a fast food workers union, and we reached out to a bunch of fast food workers and passed out flyers and said said that, you know, uh, that the Occupy... Uh, Oakland movement was thinking about creating a fast food workers union and it got tremendous response from fast food workers. You know, people being like, oh yeah, we need this. Let's make this happen. And a large part of that was not just, you know, people's ideas about the world. It was their ideas about whether there was a movement behind it that could make, that could shut things down. Because I think everyone knows that a union is not going to be able to make headway into some of these industries without being willing to shut things down and defy the Taft-Hartley Act. To shut things down in solidarity with other shops and to, you know, shut and, and to just basically strike when it's necessary, not only when the contract says you can strike. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting too because they they a lot of these corporations and stuff I think use fear. I mean, I know a number of people who are like, "Oh, well, I'm just thankful to have a job." And it's like I understand that, but it's it's I mean, we need to start pushing back, I think a, a great deal because it's it's just a, Well, but I think what fights the fear is success. Right? I think that uh I think that what fights the fear is seeing that there's a movement that will be behind it. Of course, you're going to be scared if you think that do a strike and then the union isn't going to follow through with their with their threats against the 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 uh, the job against the, against the boss because then you're left out there and he can just fire you. But if you feel like there's this strong militant movement that that your boss is afraid of, then you're not going to have as much fear. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and when you and you were when that's you, where the militancy that's where the militancy is. You know, a big part of it. You can't. You know that I, th- I think it's time for union leaders to be willing to go to jail if they need to. And I don't mean just go to jail at an anti-war protest. I mean willing to to be part of a movement, not just have a job as a union leader. And I think that that la- the labor movement to be successful not only has to be militant, but it has to be radical, meaning that people have to have a view that what they're doing is part of tra- is part of building a movement that will transform society. Because if you're only taught thinking that it has to do with that struggle that you're in, then you're not going to make the connections that you need to make to keep people ready to fight, 
you're not going to make the alliances that you need to make with community organizations and other places. You're not going to strike in solidarity with other folks, and they're not going to strike in solidarity with you. It takes radical union leadership and, and radical and, and a new kind of union, you know, to that to 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 work in this day and age. It's not going to be able to be the you know the AFL CIO that happened after they got all the communists out. You know, it's good. The one reason that that ILWU is so militant is because they can uh, and can shut a uh, and and can shut the ports down for Mumia and can you know shut the ports down for Oscar Grant um, and can you know can demand that they get over $100,000 a year for a job that used to be thought of as menial labor is because the leadership has an idea that they're part of a class struggle. Yeah, the, there's it the, the the class difference in today's society is is I mean the the wage difference is it's offensive to me how much these the one percent is is keeping and how many people are 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 struggling i mean i i have a good deal i mean people in my family who have to struggle to to pay their to pay their mortgage and to and to eat it's it's uh it's become a alarming and i mean i don't recall that as much when i was a kid we did because we were poor but <laughs> everybody else around us seemed to be doing pretty well yeah well um i think that i think that things have been bad for a long time i think what's changing is the the the, the idea that or what's changing is the fact that people are believing that they can change it right you know, like before it was kind of like whenever you're suffering, one, you're thinking that you're being told that you're one of the few that are suffering and that it's because you've made bad choices. Um, and you're also believing that, that other people, that there aren't other people that uh, think that the system needs to be changed. And so I think one thing that happens when, when, a movement gets started and a movement gets put out there. Um, something is that people see that there are millions of other folks out there that believe the same thing that they do and it allows more change to happen. The idea, it allows for the idea to grow that, that change can happen. So the, the smartest thing that the media is doing right now with any sort of movement is keeping it out of the news. You know, they tried to take the angle of having the Occupy Wall Street movement on the news and ridiculing it. But all it did was help it grow because most people saw that on the news and were like, hey, I need to be part of that. Yeah. Now, it, or, or, or I agree with it. But, but now they just keep it out of the news. And so... Um, People think that there is no movement happening. Yeah, it's right? a, it's amazing because the Occupy movement is doing some pretty radical things, and what you hear in the news is uh, you hear about the Westboro Baptist Church, but you don't, you don't hear something about like the uh, debt jubilee, which I think is thrillingly radical in what they are doing of just wiping people's debt away, and it's like you don't hear fucking anything yeah. about that. And yeah, it's it's and and I embarrassingly so like it took me a long time to figure out what the Occupy, uh, what the hell it was like. I was completely baffled at first. And me too. Yeah. I mean, I I went to the I went to the one in New York before the one in Oakland started. I happened to be in New York doing a show. By the way, if people are listening to this, let me. It's time for my commercial. Other than the show, doing the show before. Uh, we had our new album, which is out right now. It's called. It's called. Uh, what is my new album called? Uh, Sorry to bother you. Which and, is. Um, it's great, by the way. I listen to it constantly. <laughs> oh, thanks. 
And um, so I was in New York and uh, went to visit it. A few people, somebody showed up at my show. This tells you that signs work. Somebody showed up at my show with a sign that said Occupy Wall Street. I had heard about it. It was really unclear to me. Um, I like reading um, ad busters, but, you know, it's really, you know, they, they, their articles are very cryptic sometimes, and you don't know where the hell they're coming from. But, um, so I went to check it out. And when I went there, it just seemed like a bunch of people saying, there's something wrong. We don't know what's wrong. It also seemed very hippie and, uh, you know, burning manish to me. And I was like, this is not, this is not going to lead to anything. This is really, this is, and, and my whole point was it didn't, and I didn't articulate it this way, but it didn't look like what a revolutionary movement or what any sort of movement was supposed to look like as I had read it in the various books or articles I'd read about large movements. It just didn't look like that. And so I kind of wrote it off. Um, and, and also I was at a, at a general assembly meeting when I, you know, I witnessed one where it took them like a long time, took them a couple hours to figure out what to do with $700. And I was like, Oh, this shit is not going anywhere. Um, and then um, later on, um, I had friends in the Bay Area who were slightly involved and kept tricking me to come by the uh, Occupy Oakland camp. Like, hey, we're going to go have a drink, but we're going to have to walk through here first. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We don't need to walk through this camp. And, um, and, and then I started realizing that there were some folks with some ideas there on how to do things and how to how to make things fresh and new, and I think that 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 chaos and that unor that 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 lack of organization that I saw at that first thing is part of why so many people wanted to join, and you know because I was used to you know you call some sort of community meeting or a rally and there's there's some professional organizers who have the line down and know exactly what's going to happen and people can listen and hopefully they'll join and do something, but that doesn't work because people leave and most of them don't come back. But with this, it was so unorganized that people could feel like, Hey, I can be part of this because it's so unorganized that I have just as much say as that person over there. Um, yeah, I, at first I was... Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, no, no, no. Just, when they didn't have a front person, I was like, who the fuck is... Like, where's your face? Who's who's speaking on behalf of this? And then after a while, I realized, like, that's actually the most brilliant thing because that makes it harder for the FBI to fuck with them because there's no people they can really take out. Well, they still fuck with people. Oh, yeah, but, they do. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, it also... It also makes it, you know, once once they can get it down to a couple people um, and narrow it down to a few issues, just a couple issues, you know, while that has its advantages, it uh, it allows it to be over with, you know. It gives it this finish line that then they can say, okay, everybody go home now, yeah. you know. Here's that finish line, as opposed to something that has a bunch of finish lines, you know, like we're on a marathon and uh, we're going to hit these various checkpoints. Were you um, uh, were you in uh, the, the riots that happened with the Occupy Oakland? Because I was watching some videos of that earlier today and that was really um, the most, I mean, it was it depends upsetting. On what, what, depends on what 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 days you're talking about but if you're if you're asking me whether I busted any windows no I didn't oh no no I wasn't asking I just I saw a bunch of videos of the police brutality that was was happening during some of the riots and the the shooting gas canisters right like right at people and oh yeah 
And oh yeah, um, that was it. That was the first night that we went to take back Oscar Grant Plaza. Yeah, they were just shooting him straight at us. I mean, I didn't see much of that because I was it was coming at the back of my head as I was running. <laughs> so, so yeah, but it yeah, I I saw it going on. Yeah, I'm always amazed by the people who want to be up in the front there because I'm like, I, you know, I want to participate, I want to show my support, <laughs> but I don't want to get my ass kicked. <laughs> Not, and I mean, they they were some of the yeah. videos were, I mean, they were beating the fuck out of these people. Yeah, but see, yeah, so that was I wouldn't have even called that a riot. That was a police beating, you know. That was like. I mean, or it was a, a police riot. Um, but they, uh, yeah, they, they, they wanted to show that they were going to not let it happen. They, they wanted to show, have a show of force that, that made everyone shy away. And, um, and in honesty, we were there, like, with not really an idea of how we were going to get back into the plaza, but just that we needed to get there and somehow hold, hold the ground. Um, and I think a lot of people from around the world were watching, maybe not right then, but maybe not right that second, but later that night and the next day. And um, I think that what the the thing that I saw that baffled the police with that was the, was this. We walked right up to them, and you talk about not wanting to be in the front line. The front line of people right in front of them, before they started shooting, it was all teachers, like elementary and high school teachers, standing in the front. Most of them women, and that's who they started firing at. Jesus Christ, that's fucking unreal. <laughs> um, we so so we marched up there, and people were standing there trying to figure out what to do, this and that, and they started firing canisters and all that kind of stuff, and everybody r ran. Not everybody, obviously, because um, some people got hit right then, but everybody ran. And then we, we we gathered up down the block, marched around the corner, and came back. And that's when they started, that's when the police had this look on their face, like, oh, shit. You know, it doesn't matter if we keep doing this, because they're still coming back. They're still going to come back. And so that happened a few times, and we just kept coming back. And I think they realized, and, and as we were doing that, people started hearing about it, and I think, and started showing up. And so, you know, um, the crowd grew within, you know, a number of hours. Um, and, the, and, they, and they realized they couldn't sustain something like that. They couldn't sustain um, keeping us out of there, so they just kind of gave up. Where's the cop ever that says, like, hey, man, we're kind of fucked up here? <laughs> like, why does that cop ever come out? <laughs> they always just seem to go right along with it. Yeah, I mean, because they're criminals. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I... I, and I mean, not that, not that every criminal is bad. I think that it's good to be a criminal in certain cases. But the I think that... that what they are is, you know, they're all, the, the whole uh, one bad apple thing doesn't work for a number of reasons. One, because, you know, even without police brutality, if police kissed you and took you to jail, that they would still be an oppressive force. Um, so police brutality is not something that I think defines whether they're bad or not. However, when you're talking about the police brutality side of it, they don't, yeah, they don't testify against each other, you know, and they're, so they're all complicit and they all have the information that could, that could expose the ones that are, that are 
brutal towards each other. So they're all complicit in it and they're all part of it. And the reason why they can get away with it is because they know nobody, you know, nobody on their side will tell. Yeah, I got a message from a because I interviewed an Occupy LA guy and he was he called the police, uh, you know, uh, puppets of the corporations. And a guy I know from Chicago who is a cop uh, didn't like that very much. And and you know, he, he was he was claiming that they're not. <laughs> and well, here's the thing: when have you ever seen a cop break up a strike by going and telling? the boss that they have to stop stealing from their workers. That's a pretty goddamn good point. <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've never approached the strike from that standpoint. And that's because the laws favor, uh, favor the bosses over the workers. So by them adhering to what the law is, they're adhering to the law, which is unjust, as opposed to adhering to what works best for the people. And so, therefore, they are corporate puppets. I'm, you know. Yeah, I mean, I. You know, they're not. They're not. They're not doing what's right. They're doing what what the law says, and the law is not controlled by the people. The law is controlled. The law is set up to protect corporate owners. Um, so you you know you never you you've never if you went if 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 I went to the police and said, "Hey, this dude scammed me on the bus and got and 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 got ten dollars from me," they'd be like, "Could you point him out? Let's go get him." But if you went there and said, hey, you know, I spent all my day at work uh, making these cars and and I thought I was going to get the value of my labor, but actually I'm getting way less than that. I'm getting scammed. They'd be like, uh, and, you know, like, <laughs> so, you know, like, it's, it, they're not. The, the law allows stealing. The law allows theft. The law allows scamming. Right? Um, it, as long as you, you do it in certain ways, you know? Um, I mean, even in, in more clear things, like you, if you have a boss that, that is saying, hey, I don't have your money, um, sorry. You can't go to the cops and and get them to do anything about that. Yeah. But they'll do it, you know, so they are corporate puppets. Yeah, I I sadly feel like our entire government is at this point a corporate puppet. I mean... Oh, definitely. I was was, uh, watching... uh, Appalachian fracking videos today. I have a. I know how to have a good time, Boots. <laughs> I watch riot videotapes, fracking. But I mean, it's just like, I just, I'm, how do these fucking people sleep at night? I mean, the politicians who are, I know they're sociopaths to a degree, but it's just like, how the fuck do you watch these kids getting killed, you know, poisoned, and just be like, well, doing my job. It's, it's, yeah. Well, they lie to themselves and and think that they are uh, doing something that helps other folks out in a much in, in a much uh, and, and that weighs that outweighs whatever damage is being done. And that's how everyone does it. You know, like you can go to war and uh, and bomb someone's house and. You you know you say well hey uh, I'm you know stopping some other sort of violence or whatever that I've been told might happen if I don't do this and, uh, and and I think that's how that's that's that that's how people live with themselves they everyone thinks that they're doing the right thing 
There's nobody. There's no. There's very few people that are doing something that they haven't figured out a way to in, to make themselves feel like they're doing the right thing. And so I, I always try to keep that in mind with myself as well. Like, you know, some people gauge what they're doing on some very object, some very subjective basis, you know? And so, you know, you always have to keep that in, in check because you can always feel like you're doing the right thing. Do you think there's any politicians out there that, I don't, is there any that give you hope that you're like, oh, there's a guy who's trying? You mean in in the, as far as electoral politics? Yeah. No. No. (laughs) No. Uh, Yeah. Um, You know, here's the thing, is that I think that the key to changing the world can only come from people understanding that they need to be part of a movement that's growing and living and breathing and changing and that people that that the that that this system is based on capital it's based on property it's based on profit and that what makes that capital what what makes that wealth is the is our labor is you know us going to work every day and somebody taking the lion's share of that profit so that's the that that's where we have the ability to have power in this world is by having a movement that takes control of of that part of our lives of 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 how we spend our day and so that would be a militant labor movement that somehow that, that gets that turns revolutionary i think that electoral politics no matter how great the person running is um i think that it has a finish line and it distracts from building a movement that can actually change things. You know, it takes so many resources and so much time to get anyone into office that when that election is over with, there's no more movement. There's nothing happening. And, uh, you know, in recent times, uh, we we had a couple waves of the anti-war movement in the last, what, 10, 11 years. One was... One one happened like starting like 2003, um, 2002, 2003, um, and got ended when the folks that were kind of at, at the head of the anti-war movement decided to turn it into a pro-Kerry movement, even though Kerry wasn't against the war. And some of those folks um, that were anti-war and started he- wanting Kerry to, to win, uh, you know, misled people about his supposed anti-war sentiments. Anyway, that turned into an anti, uh, a pro-Kerry movement, and the movement was done, dissipated. After that election, there was no anti-war movement. It took a little while to build it back up. It built back up to a certain extent. And then that anti-war movement became a pro-Obama movement, um, and then and and dissipated. It's it's amazing. Huh? Oh, I was just thinking. I mean, how amazing it was! How little our wars were a part of the past presidential election. I mean, they talk a bunch of yeah. hooey about our economy and what would fix that. And it's like, you know, I don't know, maybe stop spending all that money on the war. <laughs> There's a, yeah. one solution perhaps, but there was like fucking nothing. Huh? And that's like in, in, you know, the sixties during Vietnam, that's, that's all they fucking talked about. Well, not all, but I mean, it was the major points of the, of the elections. You couldn't, you couldn't get away from And the reason why it was a major point was only because there was an anti-war movement. 
it wasn't just because those politicians were more interested in the Vietnam War. It's because they had to answer to whatever the movement, Absolutely. wherever the movement is at. And that's the and that's the truth for all political change. Like any of the gains that we have here it, it, right now are only here because people shut shit down. <laughs> you know, because you know, if you want to talk about the things that came from uh, the New Deal, that didn't come because FDR was a kind person. That came because there were a million card-carrying communists. There were uh, there, there were minor strikes, militant ones, going on throughout the South. Ones that Rockefeller was sending uh, Pinkerton security in to gun down people in. There were uh, sit-down strikes going on in in production plants, wildcat strikes all over the place. This was the, and, and there were, there were revolutions starting all over the world ha- that had just happened and, and were starting all over the world. You know, Roosevelt was scared that there was going to be a revolution. At that time, too, uh, places like Utah and Montana were called hotbeds of communist activity by J. Edgar Hoover. And he was, it, it was right, it was true that this was the case. They had all that stuff going on there, like militant strikes and things like that. Um, so, and then later... Later, uh, you know, in uh, the 60s, you had, or early 70s, late 60s, um, you had people tearing shit up. And that's what, you know, that's why there was a, uh, that's why there, there was civil rights legislation. Not because somebody decided to elect JFK into office. You know, you didn't hear movements at the time talking about which candidate, you know, you didn't hear supposed leftist movements that were, you know, that, that thought of themselves as grassroots talking about which candidate they were going to get elected. Uh, that's because they knew the truth that you can make whatever candidate that's in office, do what you want to do, want them to do. If you can, you know, stop profit, if you can shut things down, um, Nixon, he was a, he is the person that was in office, and he brought in affirmative action. Nixon is not liberal by any stretch. I mean, not progressive, not any of that stuff. But he was afraid of movements that were building. So, you know, it, it, it's best to not focus on the electoral politics and focus on building militant movements that can affect not the puppeteers, I mean, not the puppets, but the puppeteers, you know, and the puppeteers are the corporations. If you can affect the puppeteers and make them, you know, worried about losing money, they'll make their puppets dance for you if you want them to. (laughs) What do you think of uh, the anonymous group? Because I have, do you follow? I mean, I, yeah, I, I think that, you know, there's a couple cool things that happen from it. I think my question is all, my, my question with them is the same question as I have with uh, the idea of boycotts. You don't know if there's a movement or not, right? Like, hey, I'm, I'm boycotting Whole Foods or I'm boycotting Safeway. You know, those are things that are that are brought up as an alternative to strikes and to things that in which you have to actually meet with people and organize with them. And, yeah, there might be somebody that doesn't go to Whole Foods or Safeway or whatever because of the boycott that someone announced. But you don't know. You don't have to struggle with them. You don't have to work with it. Anonymous is just that. Anonymous. And, you know, you, you don't know how big or how small it is. And there's not a lot of room for development. Now, hopefully the folks that are in Anonymous are also doing some other stuff in the physical, real world. So that would have something to do with that. But, you know, it's also easy um, for 
if it's it, it, you know if if it's just hackers, it's easy for one hacker to get cornered and turned into an FBI stooge. You yeah. know, I, 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 so so that's the problem with that. However, you know, sometimes it's good. I I don't I don't know. I think it's good. What what they're good. What what their strength is is making things go viral, and I think that that's an important strength. I'm not necessarily sure how much, you know, uh, good it is just have putting someone's phone number and email out on in public. In the sense of what, how does that help? You know, you put you you know like, and so that's that's just a real question. Does it? You know what? I'd, I'd be interested to know what comes of that, right? You know, um, if, if you, you know, like when they do the info dumps, they put all someone's info on there, and what does it actually do? So, I, I think that 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 there is definitely something that could come from it, and and it and it has helped in certain instances, but I think that. It would be important to be able to work in the way that a strike works, in the sense of being, you know, being able to shut something down. So, like for instance, if they shut down Monsanto's website, I don't think that's in Monsanto's business model. Is to you know their website, you know, like it does a little bit of damage for a little bit, but if somehow they're able to go in. And mess up Monsanto's, uh, you know, whole information story, storing uh, abilities. And that's a whole nother thing. Or, you know, um, I, I think at one point they had done, you know, they'd done a lot of website stuff. And, I, I, you know, that's cool, but, like, I, I, I question how much it actually puts a dent in what these particular companies are doing unless it's like Amazon which their website is their business model you know you do something to, if you can take down Amazon's website it's doing a lot if you can especially if you can take it down for a long period of time so I, you know I, I guess what I'm saying is is that it's still not a replacement for the regular work of building a movement. And I think that, that the, 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 the thing that's, the, the thing that it attempts to do in certain situations is cause problems for particular companies. I think that it can help as an ancillary, uh, action to actual campaigns that are happening. But I think that still the, the way that you're going to stop profit, the way that you're going to, well, the way that you're going to cause a problem for particular corporations and companies is going to have to be with good old person to person organizing and, you know, and, and getting people to, you know, shut things down with their bodies. You know, because that's still where most of the profit is. Is you know, things things still get made, things still get shipped, things still you know, um, and and um, it also inspires people more. You know, like the the whole. Uh, it's interesting because you know, if, for example, when we think of the Black Panther Party. The main image that flashes to mind right away are dudes in black leather jackets and uh, and berets. But the truth is, is that they stopped wearing those in 1967. They wore them for a year. And the reason that they decided to stop wearing those is because they realized that it stopped people from organizing in a certain, you know, in, in the, the meaning that people saw them as superheroes, right? Either as superheroes like, hey, yeah, go ahead, you, you guys lead the revolution. I'm going to sit right here. Or 
as badasses that they themselves would never be able to become. And so I think that we're in a place where more and more, you know, we have power to, we have the, we have the, 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 the power comes in people seeing other folks that they can relate to out there fighting. I mean, you can't even really be anonymous and, and that, you know, like they've got other, other hackers finding out who you are. So you're not really anonymous. You're only anonymous to the rest of us. And this is like something, uh, that, 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 and and I say this because I think that that it's something that could really help if it's and it and it has helped in certain ways. But um, there are some kids out there who see it as an alternative to actually getting involved in organizations, and I and I would hope that they would do what they're doing, but also get involved in the physical and real way. And I think some of them do, you know, I think some of them do, but I, I think that, that, uh, we need to see that, that, that we need to approach things in a, in a physical real world way as well. So I agree. I, I want to, uh, and, and, and if there's some people that, if there's some people that don't like what I said, that in anonymous, you know, my address and, phone number are easily available to every, everybody knows where I live in Oakland anyway. So yeah. you just go to Oakland and you ask where does Boots live, people will point you to my house. So yeah, they, they, they tend not, uh, they tend to fuck with, uh, with the, with the, the other side. I don't think they would fuck with you. <laughs> I, I, do, I do like the thing they, uh, helped bring awareness to that rape in Ohio. That was kind of, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. And I saw the, are you talking about the uh the high school high school yeah yeah that i i mean but you know again uh but i I'll, I'll, i'm sorry definitely for things like that is is uh and and like yeah they they help things go viral that normally wouldn't and to a certain extent ends up becoming more more of an alternative uh media channel yeah because right now a lot of the algorithms that people were thinking made the internet so uh, democratic are really not that way. Like you think, you know, oh, you can talk to everybody on Facebook and Facebook is like a new media for the, for the people. But now, you know, they face Facebook has its algorithm set. So even all the people that want to hear what you said, so all the people that are subscribed to, me as Boots Riley or, or, or that like the coup, um, they don't get to see everything I post. They purposely are kept away. And when I post something, Facebook comes up with a message saying, would you like everybody to see this? Pay this much money. Yeah, I think people so, are going to be jumping off of that shit real real soon. I, I focus on Tumblr and Twitter more than Facebook. For <laughs> well, yeah, whatever they jump on is going <laughs> to, they're going to figure out how to change it to that but I think that's where anonymous could be really helpful and and has shown itself to be helpful is to figure out maybe some of those kids can figure out ways around those algorithms you know yeah and maybe you know and 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 also figure out how to make things um things somehow hit you know, be make pieces of news more viral than they would get through the regular news media, um, and to that extent, it's been really helpful. Um, is there just to to wrap up? Uh, I wanted to if there's any you have a your website and and oh, anything that you would like to plug, and I just I did want to ask if you is are, is there going to be any more uh, street sweeper social club or. Um, well, we're, we're supposed to do one more album. Um, so, yeah, there'll be one, like, probably after after the next, uh, after I finish working this cool album. And we have a movie coming out that this album is a soundtrack to. So, um, probably next year. 
2014. So, uh, Tom Morello does. I, ha- I have a cassette full of Tom Morello riffs that nobody has heard <laughs> right here. I have from some. Me. Uh, yeah, he, uh, because you and I have done, uh, I do a lot of work with Jail Guitar Doors as well does Tom and yourself. Or uh, you, I know you've gone into some of the prisons and done uh-huh. some songwriting. Mm-hmm. That's, which is a. Yeah. Um, but uh, what do you do? You have a website and your Twitter and all that stuff. Do you want to plug right now so people and people? No, um, you know the coup is Facebook dot com slash the coup, and you can check my personal page. Uh, you can subscribe to that Facebook dot com slash Boots Riley, and uh, then I'm on Twitter and all that type of stuff. Um, I wish I wasn't on all that stuff, but. It's, I'm on there. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty maddening sometimes. But uh, I, I want to thank you very much for your time. It was really great. I. Uh, okay. I think uh, my my listeners will really dig it. So th- I thank you very much. Oh. All right. Cool. Thanks, man. Uh, thank you very much for listening to the show. I uh, greatly enjoyed Mr. Boots Riley. If you enjoyed it, please donate some money. Please. Pretty please. Uh, I, I blow a lot of dough. Uh, I, I make less than $9 an hour. Uh, but, you know, we need uh, this money to help keep our, our network or our, our, our website up. And I need to buy periodicals to keep informed and eat. Uh, and if you can't afford to donate money, you can go through the Amazon link and you could uh, buy some bullshit and I get a kickback. Uh, also follow me on on Squitter, Squitter, Squitteris, uh, Matt underscore DeWire. Uh, I have two Tumblr pages, one solely dedicated to the show. It all comes through t- Twitter. Just follow me on Twitter, would you? Please. Thank you. And listen to the other shows on Feral Audio. Power to the people, everybody.
the branch of the United States government, it is the mission of the National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.